Now I want you guys to open your Bibles or turn in your phones to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Part two of this next slide, this a series on oneness. And uh, last week what I shared with you straight from the word, just like Rachel is now a part of that, that we are one. With Christ as the cornerstone, there is a oneness that we in reality all share. It's not, it's not something one day we'll get to or that we attain. It's who we already are. And so oneness then in our marriages, oneness in our relationships with others in the church isn't something that all of a sudden lands in our lap. It's something that we have. And so now, as the gift of grace was talked about last week, we get to see how all of a sudden Paul adds to this phenomenal teaching on oneness. Ephesians chapter 4, my friends, verse 11. Look at this. And he gave, I want you to see that. Everything that's coming up in these texts is coming from Christ. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to, look at this, equip the saints, the saints in this case, just another word for believers, those following Christ. He's called those offices in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, uh, it would um, be beneficial to walk through each of those offices. There's actually four, even though there's five words, because here the, uh, the shepherds and teachers is one role in the Greek. Instead of walking through all of those offices and how they function and uh, who was an apostle, essentially one sent by God who had seen the risen Christ, instead of focusing on that, I, I want you to understand a couple things from this text that we must see. The offices of these leaders in the body of Christ, in this passage, have one main focus, and that is to equip. In other words, Paul lays out these roles of leadership. He doesn't escalate them. Instead, he says their role in the body of Christ is to equip, look at this, the saints for the what? What's the word? For the work. Now, I know that uh, this begins to mess with um, our theology as we begin to process works-based righteousness. That's not what Paul's saying here at all. He's not saying that these offices in the church are to build up and equip these folks so that their work will achieve them salvation. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is you come to Christ because you have signed up to die, because you have been called to something where you deny your life, then, then you are uh, signing up for work. The, the work doesn't save you. The work is in response to what God has done. And I love how the offices here are honed in on equipping. Now, uh, there is something troubling in my heart as we begin to wrestle with this passage. And I want to share it with you like this in a statement of truth. There is a vast difference in desiring to be equipped and wanting to be entertained. This right here, this, please hear me church, this is the paramount issue in the body of Christ in America today. It's one thing for the offices of leadership, pastors, evangelists, teachers, to say, okay, our desire is to equip the body, but it's a whole nother thing for the body to be desiring to be equipped. I think that you'll agree with me that the majority of what um, I see uh, internationally and certainly in our culture is this deep longing to be entertained. Uh, come to the show, be entertained, uh, we're going to do some tricks and uh, we'll sing some songs to entertain you and then an entertaining uh, a pastor or communicator will then share an entertaining message. And then just for entertainment purposes, we'll provide some hospitality aspects so that you all are even more entertained. Breeding only the, the further concept of consumeristic ways. 
Uh, I was so enamored by this thought that I did a little research on what Americans do in their leisure time. The graphic does not lie. This is from 2016. That out of four hours and 59 minutes that the average American spends in quote-unquote leisure time, two hours and 47 minutes of that a day by the average American is spent being entertained by the television. Uh, I know some of you maybe find yourself a little bit north of that, okay? You're like, oh man, only two hours and 47, that's not bad, right? Like, okay, fair enough, we can, we can work with that. Well, others of you fall away underneath. Uh, I, w- I would go ahead and share my understanding that, that ne- uh, the Netflix binging that you've done, you know, that, that kind of accumulates over time, okay? So maybe you thought, oh, it, it didn't count, that was only 26 hours straight. Well, if you average that out over a couple weeks, Listen, is it possible that in our longing to be entertained in just about every other facet of our life, we show up to a place like this and it's just one more entertainment vice? Now, I'd like to share something with you personally, if you don't mind. I am insanely encouraged by this church body. Uh, I don't believe that as a whole that you all are here because you desire to be entertained. As we more and more embrace discipleship, as we embrace neighborhood mission, as we embrace what God has called us to do in St. Charles, you know that here at this place, the desire is to glorify Christ and not entertain one another. And I am so incredibly grateful that throughout the years, listen, we're coming up on our 12-year anniversary, that throughout the years, uh, this church body has been very, very interested uh, in equipping. That said, there may be some areas of your heart that need to be dealt with. And so instead of tonight uh, teaching us new lessons on what it means to be equipped, teaching new tricks, I thought I might walk us through some possible areas of repentance in the area of entertainment. Next slide, let's say it this way. Repenting of entertainment lust in the body of Christ might include, and as I walk through these, please wrestle in your heart, not with practicalities, but is there any aspect of this that you're like, man, you know what? I don't, I'm not really interested in being equipped at all. I just want to come to the show and go home and live my life. Well, maybe, next slide, you struggle in your heart with deservedness. Well, when you think of the uh, very premise of entertainment, somewhere in there, at the core, is this idea that you deserve to be entertained. Uh, in Daniel's day, uh, I remember teaching the book of Daniel, and uh, I remember that in the story of Daniel in the lion's den, the king, uh, the night that Daniel was put in the lion's den, the scripture says that he took no diversions, and a, a diversion for a king would have been all sorts of entertainment. It, it would have uh, maybe included some sensuality, it maybe would have been some soothsayers, Uh, But on that night, he wasn't interested in entertainment because he was wrestling. But the very premise of a king is that a king deserves to be entertained. So bring in the dancing girls and bring in the opportunity to help his insecurity. And and look, I mean, he's the king. I'm wondering if in your heart, there's this thought, well, like I give here and I serve here and I support here, and I love here, and I encourage here, and on and on and on. Don't I deserve a little bit of entertainment now and again? And what begins as this just mere little thought all of a sudden begins to explode. And wherever you are in the body of Christ, the lust for entertainment potentially begins to take root. And I'm just asking tonight, is there anyone in here who is struggling believing that you deserve anything, anything. Imagine a room where everyone believed we deserved nothing. Imagine what that would look like. You don't deserve the house that you have. 
the spouse that you have, the relationships that you get the grace of enjoying, the resources, even down to the dollar? What if we believed that holistically? Do you understand how impactful that would be? Next slide, I'm wondering if some of you are in your heart struggling with jealousy. Notice that when we're talking on, about issues of repentance, we're not focusing on behavior modification. Because when you're dealing with issues of repentance, in other words, stopping in the tracks of your sin and turning around, then what happens is you're getting in the caverns of your heart. Do any of you struggle with gift envy? In our lot families or here in the body of Christ or in some other expression that you're a part of, you see someone else's gifts, how they're used, how much glory it seems they get, and deep rooted in your heart, you want that, not for the glory of God, but for the glory of you. I'm wondering if some of you in the deep caverns of your heart battle with in your singleness watching others get married to the point that you can't even be around others who are getting engaged because in your heart you're like chucking darts at every single Facebook post and every single conversation where someone else put a ring on it. I'm wondering if in the body of Christ some of you are driven by jealousy everywhere you look, every person you are to act with is just one more opportunity to be jealous. Why that is an entertainment issue, my friends, is it forces you in the hardness of your heart to just want to be numb to everything. Just entertain me, like, just, just take me to another place so I don't really have to deal with the pieces of my heart. I'm wondering tonight if there's anyone here who must repent of jealousy. Next slide. Repenting of entertainment lust in the body of Christ, it might include the struggle of sovereignty. Now, the, the whole concept of the struggle of sovereignty is who is your king. And when you're struggling with who is your king, the whole makeup of who is your king, then all of a sudden thrusts you into an identity crisis about who it is that you've come to worship. Uh, when you worship the Lord Jesus, submitting to his kingship and sovereignty, then whatever he wants goes. Whatever he says goes. When the struggle of sovereignty puts you on the throne or a person on the throne or a concept or a local body on the throne, then all of a sudden you find yourself in the tension of these things. We've talked about this before, but it's huge. Lastly, I'm wondering if any of you tonight need to repent of in your heart a deep-rooted laziness. In other words, the desire for entertainment and to not be equipped, our body here, the longing of the elders here is to in every way, shape, or form through what happens in discipleship, what goes on in a lot of families, what happens here in preaching the word and worshiping in music, what goes on in our relationships, and on and on and on, what, what happens in the expression of we love St. Charles, our entire heart is to equip the body. I understand that we fail at that, my friends. I understand we have shortcomings and there are desperate needs to grow in. I understand that. But I'm wondering, my friends, if you look at all of those things and inwardly you're just like, you know what, honestly, I would rather just sit on the bench. You guys keep doing the work over here and this group over here can step up and these folks over here can do what God's called them to do. But as for me and my house, I'm just gonna sit back and take it all in. I'm wondering if any of these four things tonight, all of a sudden you realize that maybe, just maybe, you've been coming here just to be entertained. It's not all of a sudden a shift of the mind. It is a repentance issue because the offices of the leadership in the church are meant to equip the body of Christ for what? Work. To walk out those doors. To leave the homes and lot families. To leave the discipling relationships and embrace being an ambassador for Christ dying to themselves every single second of every single day for your joy and his glory 
So I want to remind you, that's our heart here. It's not to do new tricks. It's not to have a kids ministry that will just draw families because it has XYZ roller coaster in the kids ministry. It's not to have, you know, amazingly colorful uh, uh, rooms. Uh, We don't have colorful rooms, okay? Look at our walls. They're white and gray, okay? Our desire here is to continue to focus on Christ and Christ alone so that the church may be equipped to work for their joy, for our joy, and for his glory. And so he says the fruit of all of that in verse 13 until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, look at this, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, A couple poll the audience questions. Has anyone ever in your life ever said by raise of hands that you are immature? Has anyone ever told you that by raise of hands? Okay. And some of you too immature to raise your hand now, I understand. Um, It's not me, right? Um, Has anyone ever told you to act your age? Right? (laughs) I I was thinking through this and how often, now that I am sensitive to it, I communicate that, especially to my boys. Like Dawson will come in uh, from at La Family, it's awesome. We have several young boys, and so it's pretty much just uh, like WWE every single Sunday. And uh, I've seen my son Dawson, especially, who's very sensitive. He has a tender heart, which I love. But every once in a while, he will um, cry when he's really not hurt. You know, like, yes, he got pelted in the temple with a ball, and yes, it was a little bit scary, but it really doesn't hurt that bad, okay? And so I'm trying not to be the dad that just says, hey, toughen up all the time and, you know, like, just be tough. I'm trying, I'm trying not just to, like, speak toughness into him. But I have caught myself over and over and over saying, you're seven, son, seven years old. You're, you're not two anymore. Listen, I have been degrading, and I'm confessing this. I've been degrading to the point where I've said, listen, do you want me to go to Walmart tonight and get some more diapers? Because I can do that, son, right? I'll even get some wipes. All right, we'll figure this out, son. Like, is that what you want me to do? Now, certainly now as I'm speaking that again, I'm reminded of how uh, in error that is as a parent. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that that's uh, parenting 101, and you should all take that advice. But in the times that you've been called immature, did that come off well for you? Like, was that something you really embraced? Other times in my life that I have been called immature, which I know some of you guys may realize this, but I was voted seven years in a row. So middle school to high school, all seven years, class clown. And so once or thrice in English class or some other uh, scholarly activity, Uh, I was called immature. Mark, you need to grow up. And every single time I heard that, there was never this like bolstering of my desire to grow up. I was always like, well, you need to have more fun. Right? Like, what's your problem, teacher? You know, like we just, I just acted like Ace Ventura again. Like, I don't know what the problem is, which is literally my whole junior year of high school was just me acting like Ace Ventura. So... (laughs) already then Um, (laughs) now back to the scripture now that we've set some context what Paul is saying is that there's this connection between the diversity of gifts the equipping of the church and the maturity of the body of Christ And so I want to read this verse again in that context. He's essentially challenging them now, I believe in a very fruitful way, not to act their age per se, but to embrace who they are in Christ until, he says, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's encouraging the church, to own being equipped because it's in the equipping that they will grow. Now, this is the heavy portion of the evening. 
the adverse of that. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Let me say it this way, next slide. The enemy preys on the spiritually gullible. Um, You guys know that I really don't enjoy fishing whatsoever. But there was a time when I was in Canada fishing, which is a place I would go back to fish because of how, uh, how, how many fish I caught. But there was this really weird moment that happened. Uh, we were fishing on the lake in Canada. And, uh, you know, I, I caught a fish, and I think it was a walleye. I really don't know my fish, so it could have been a hammerhead. I, like, I really don't know. <laughs> and um, I caught the fish, and I, I reeled, reeled them up. And you guys know sometimes when you catch a fish and things don't go well with the hook, and I was really skittish of taking the hook out, so I did a little eye damage, you know what I'm saying? And it feel bad, and I know I felt bad, but I was like, well, maybe he'll survive, and so I, I threw him back. Put, my, put my, uh, you know, my fishing pole in the water again. Man, like within 30 seconds, I got another one, right? And so I like reel him up, and like the moment that I get him up, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I just caught the same fish. <laughs> it's like eyes like hanging off of his... And so I said, maybe third time's a charm. I like, gave him another shot, you know, threw him back. <laughs> it's a true story um, that all of you relate to. Uh, the enemy's bait is really, at the end of the day, never rocket science. He continues to throw it out there. And what happens often, my friends, is he catches the same fish over and over and over on the exact same bait. Oh, I bet I can get him on this again. What Paul is saying sternly is there's something that happens in maturity and in the equipping that all of a sudden makes you way less spiritually gullible and way stronger in Christ that now the lure that the enemy is trying to get you to bite on or the desire of your flesh all of a sudden becomes non-existent. And so I want to I help you walk through this a little bit. Next slide, let me say it this way. You are more likely to be spiritually gullible if, number one, you are distant from God's word. I've chosen every word here intentionally, and I want to tell you why. I hear it all the time from new believers. Okay, so Mark, um, well, my problem is, Mark, I don't, I don't know the Bible. Uh, okay, yes, you're like you've just come to Christ and things are brand new. I fully understand that. And what I try to help them understand is, yes, I've been a Christian for a long, long, long time. And yes, you've been a believer for two hours or a week. But the beauty of the truth of the living and active word of God is that there is something about the truth in reading it from a child in terms of maturity to mature manhood, as Paul writes here, that the truth, whether it's one sentence that you read and know and memorize or you have context of the whole scripture that has tremendous power, I hear it all the time, well, I, I just don't know much of the Bible, and so the issue then is like, well, I'm just not going to start reading it then. When the whole power of the truth of the Scripture is the more and more and more you just begin to bask in the truth of it, it creates this level of distancing from the lies of the enemy. Even after, please hear me, one sentence. One sentence, Holy Spirit in you, Awakening the truth of the word puts up a stronger defense against spiritual gullibility. So distance from God's word makes you more likely to be gullible. Number two, next slide. 
you are in a Christian community that focuses on self-help. You will 100% be spiritually gullible if week in and week out in the context of small groups or the preaching or the communication all focuses on here are the seven steps to be a better dot, dot, dot. Mark, why are you saying that? Because if you don't believe that your porn problem is a Jesus answer, if you don't believe that your marriage struggles are a Jesus answer, if you're struggling to connect that your eating disorder is a, G- is, is a Jesus answer, my friends, then you're going to be searching just like the rest of the world for the next motivational quote that leaves you in the same place that the last quote did, empty. Searching for truth, not having found it, eating the table scraps instead of of the beauty of the rich word of God, the feast of God's word. That is why in this church, we say it all the time in this local expression, there will never be a surprise ending. It will always be Jesus. You might ask me, Mark, where are we going to end tonight? I'll go ahead and share with you, newsflash, Christ, that's it. Where are we going to end? Jesus, next week you come, come, come back. It's Jesus again, my friends. Why? Because we never ever want you to walk out those double doors saying, well, I have to pull up my bootstraps again. No, he has already done that. So we get to rest in him. That's it. That's the gospel. But if you're hearing self-help, it is so easy to be tossed to and fro by the waves and the winds. Next slide. You are more likely to be spiritually gullible if emotions become a drug. Uh, So you guys know I was a youth pastor for a long, long, long time in the seven years to be exact, which may not seem like a long time. It felt like a long time. Loved it. I uh, spoke at a lot of youth conferences. I still get the opportunity to minister a lot to Christian high school. I love that time. And inevitably, uh, I hear some common language uh, in the youth uh, circle. I'll, I'll preach a week of camp or a weekend uh, retreat. And just about every time, some students will come up and be like, Mark, I am so, I'm so spiritually high right now. What am I going to do tomorrow? And I'm able to look at them with grace because I've said the same thing. I'm able to look at them with a heart that resonates with the struggle. And so I look at them and I share the same thing I'm going to share with you right now. If every time you come here, you're just looking for the next emotional high, the next emotional stirring, the next time you'll feel God, then my friends, emotions become the exact same drug that the alcoholic is struggling with or the porn addict is turning to. It's the exact same thing. Your whole experience with God then is solely based on that precise feeling. And if you don't feel that, then that wasn't genuine. But that is not the truth of the scripture. Jesus never says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you an emotional high. He doesn't say that. And so I tell the student, here's the beautiful thing, my friend, is tomorrow when you wake up, guess what? Jesus is just as much risen as he is right now in this moment. Yes, the fellowship or the accompaniment of other believers might look different. Uh, Yes, maybe the the worship uh, experience may not be as confrontive tomorrow, but my friends, all you need is the risen Christ, Holy Spirit working through you to encounter the real God. So don't search after the high, just believe in the resurrection. You're more spiritually gullible. Number four, if you trust man over God's authority, Here's what I mean. How often do you guys leave here and check me on the things that were communicated? See what I'm saying? How awesome would it be if every week you guys left here and you're like, okay, so what he said there, is, is that biblically accurate? Is that right? Is that true? Now, I, certainly, I'm, I'm glad that you trust me and you trust our pastors here and you know that we're gonna study and, and, and share and do our due diligence But my friends, I'm encouraging us to be a body that looks in the scripture 
and checks the things that are shared. And when you have pause, you're not gathering the the crew and talking badly about the leadership here amongst yourselves. You're coming and challenging me as a brother in Christ whom you love. Hey, what you shared a couple weeks ago on this issue, I've been doing some more research on that. And I think the way you said, I know your heart is to proclaim Christ, but the way you said it, I think it actually goes against this passage here. Let's talk through that. My friends, you become unbelievably spiritually gullible if you just take whatever man says. Now, lastly, look at verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, hesitate. There's other options than speaking the truth in love. Let me show them to you. You can, next slide, you can speak the truth in hate. You can speak lies in love. And my friends, you can speak lies in hate. So every time we speak, there are several options. Some of the greatest damage in this room that has ever happened in your life has been because of those lower three things. Let me ask it this way. Have you ever been a victim? Have you ever been a victim of someone who came to you and they said that they were going to speak the truth and love to you, but actually what they were speaking to you was not loving at all? It was filled with judgment It was filled with a a facial expression that says, I hate you. It wasn't coated in grace. It was coated in stone throwing. Have you ever been a victim? Let me ask one more question. Have you ever been the one communicating something where the victim was on the other side? where you were speaking lies. And it, it was supposed to be loving. You, you thought it was loving. Your heart even was lo- loving, but at the end of the day, it was lies. Not grounded in the scripture, grounded in some sort of um, cultural idealism that you had believed. There's a whole lot of damage that has been done here, which is why Paul addresses it. Now back to the text, next slide. Rather, speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom, look at this, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly and incredible in makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Come on. Up in love. Now the first thing I want you to see is the words into Christ. So the whole premise of what's happening with the body of Christ is the the body of Christ is being built into Christ. He is the head and he is the source. Now the next thing I want you to see is from whom the, what's the word? The what? The whole. The whole body. Every single person in here who feels alone Every single person in here who feels like if they were equipped, it wouldn't matter. Every person here who feels isolated, distanced from the rest of community, when the body of Christ holistically is functioning properly, what Paul says is the church is building itself up in love. It's coated in love. It's basked in the love of Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus is funneling through all of its veins. Each person in the body of Christ is owning their giftings. And the church together, everybody, is being built up. I want to know, though, is the pain and the hurt of what happened to you here or there or then, attempting 
to all of a sudden thwart the plans that God has to use your giftings for the building up of the church. Some of you are hearing you're not good enough. Some of you are hearing the lies of Rachel, I'll I'll never be holy enough. Some of you, my friends, are hearing that, listen, my gifts don't matter. Look, my gifting is actually over here. My friends, all of those things are lies. Hear the truth in love. God has made all of us as one to embrace our giftings through the Holy Spirit to see the church built up in love. That's it. My desire is that no one ever at Matthias's lot would ever feel alone or not cared for or distanced. And the beautiful thing about a church that's building itself up in love, all working properly for the glory of God, is it just means that together we are laying our lives down submitting to the kingship of Christ and saying, God, whatever you want with me, I will do. That is a church that is being built up in love. And so I want to invite my brother, Pastor Jared, to come up and share with you more on what that looks like. For, um, for a few months, um, for quite a, quite a while, I've been wrestling with uh, my calling. Three months ago, Sarah and I were, we were staying in the hospital when she gave birth to Emery, our third child. And the whole week was just her and I, no TV on, just conversations, just hanging out. And uh, one of the conversations that came up Uh, was about calling. And she had asked me, you know, it's one of those moments where she said, what are you thinking right now? And right now, I'm I'm like, well, if you want to know exactly what I'm thinking right now, I said, I'm I'm wrestling with my calling at Matthias. It has nothing to do with anything wrong with, uh, with where we are, but there's just something in me that doesn't feel right. And it feels like there's something off. I'm missing something. And so we need to pray about that. And, and, and right in that, in that conversation, she um, gave a tremendous amount of support to me where she said, if you understand what you're called to do, I'll support you. And wherever we go, whatever we do, I'm there with you. Which gives a tremendous amount of responsibility for me to discern my calling. And so for the next few weeks, I began to even look in different directions in ministry just on my own. And I didn't want to bring people into this super early because I, I, I didn't know how quickly that would be answered. And, and very fortunately, that wrestling was answered very, very quickly. That I was very affirmed through, um, through prayer, through self-examination, through examining what we have around us, what we've been able to be a part of, that I am absolutely called to be a pastor. I'm called to shepherd people. I'm called to teach people uh, God's word and to listen to them and pray for them. And so I was very thankful because I thought, well, okay, that's, that's great. Problem is, there was still a deep wrestling inside of me, and I didn't know what it was about. So I began to pray more, and I, I began to bring my friend Mark into this and, and just begin to invite him into to this yearning, this wrestling, not knowing what it's about. I began wondering if the nature of the calling was more specific to whether I was called a pastor at Matthias's lot or called a pastor somewhere else or, or in a different context or a different setting. So he graciously listened, began to pray for me, and all the while in this, you know, I'm trying to sell my house. I'm trying to buy a house. You know, I shared with you last time I preached that we, had, we actually had a contract on a house about four minutes away from here. And, and for us, that was all that we knew that, that was the next faithful opportunity. We, we felt everything within us felt that, that we were here, that we were moving here because of you. And a few days after that sermon, that that contract on that house, we were able to actually back out of it because of some unforeseen things that we had uh, come across in a home inspection. And when we left that inspection, Sarah and I were, were strangely at peace and in unison about, about not buying that house. So I'm, I'm confused. I'm wrestling with the calling and I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the drawing board. But by this point, I've been wrestling through this for a few months in different ways. And 
frankly, I got tired from jumping from circumstance to circumstance that was driving my prayer life. And so I, I, I got tired of calling my shot. I got tired of throwing up Hail Marys and just, just said, okay, God, here's the deal. I'm going to just listen. I'm gonna stop talking. I'm gonna stop framing how you need to answer this or what your options are, God, and I'm just gonna listen. So I prayed, I prayed hundreds of times. God, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, God? Help me to see. Help me to have ears to hear. Help me to listen to you well. I began going through Mark's gospel and just looking at the character of Christ. And the fact that he provides time and time again for, for miracles and, and for needs great and small like fishes and loaves. He provides. He, he said to his disciples, don't be afraid, only believe. And, and so I was being led by that. And, and I had brought the elders into this wrestling at this point in time. And they were praying for us, praying for us as a family. And so I listened for almost three weeks. And still, just a, a yearning and a wrestling and a tension. And so early last week, I had shared with the elders. We had uh, still been in this journey. I, I reached out to them one by one and, and just began to invite them back into this journey. Please continue to pray for us. And something came out of my mouth when, when I asked Pastor Jeff, uh, when I was telling him how to pray for us, I said, and Jeff, if you can also, I had never thought about this before in, my, in the whole journey at all. I had never even, uh, it had never entered my mind. I never spoke about it. But I said, Jeff, if you can also please pray for the place in the very specific community that God is calling us to minister to, that would also be very helpful. So I got off the phone and I finished talking to the elders and almost immediately uh, something happened. Now I'm not the kind of person some of you are like this and your brothers and sisters in Christ who, who edify me and, and strengthen me and challenge me, but I'm not the kind of person who naturally uh, believes that I've heard from the Lord a whole lot in my life in very specific ways, maybe to a fault even. But right away, immediately in that moment, a peace transcended and surpassed all understanding. I still don't understand it. I've had a confidence immediately and a boldness. And right away, I knew exactly what we were supposed to do. And I felt God say to me, do not move to St. Charles. You and your family are called to Granite City, Illinois. Now, if you know anything about us, that's where we've lived for the past seven and a half years. And as of Wednesday next week, we have no house in Granite City. We've sold that house. But what the Lord began to, to flood in me was that this, this issue of calling wasn't about a job. It wasn't about a particular church because I had realized along the way that Matthias' lot would, I would never find an, an opportunity to do ministry in a church like this ever again, nor would I ever be able to work with my best friends, which is exactly what I have the opportunity to do every single day. But he told us that the calling was about place. And almost immediately after that began to happen, after I began to, to rest in that, peacefully, over and over again, um, thoughts and, and dreams and ideas and passions for certain things happening in the city began to flood my heart and my mind. And so the best thing I can say is that I believe, and Sarah had prayed for this exact thing to happen. She said somewhere along the way, it got too hard to process this out loud over and over again. And she, she said, I can't, I can't keep doing this every which way. What, where's this gonna go? I, I just can't do that. It's, it's too hard, but what I can do is I can pray for God to speak to you in such a way that you don't feel like you even have to make a decision, that you will know his will. And my friends, my brothers and sisters, God has done that. Now, if we are called to Granite City, if we are called to, uh, we believe, just begin to be obedient by living in that place and, and beginning to reach out to our neighbors, we're just called to open up our home and begin neighborhood ministry and go from there. I have no job promised to me. I don't have some hidden agenda. We didn't expect this. This actually wasn't what we wanted. Sarah, even from Granite City, did not want this. But we feel like God has spoken to us. And that's only been more and more confirmed every single day. So here's, here's the truth. I've, the framing of my life is basically pre-Matthias, everything pre-Matthias, and then since Matthias. That's, that's basically my whole life. And I was 23 years old when I came to this church. My life had fallen apart. 
And my spiky-haired good buddy, eating lunch at R.T. Weiler's, invited me to come. So the next week I came. I met my wife through this church. We've been blessed to bring everyone, every one of our kids, all three of our kids into the world through this church. I've been blessed to share the gospel, to make disciples in so many different ways in this church. And I believe that we were on the right track with this church. We are totally in unison with the mission of Matthias' lot. What we've come to realize, it just was never the right place for us. And so practically, we, um, if we are called to do ministry in Granite City, if we are called to serve there, then there's always a cost. And like Pastor Mark said, um, our life is not our own. And so the cost in this is the hardest cost, and that's relationship. Matthias Lot for us has never been about some church structure. It's always been about the people. All of our friends are at this church. We don't have friends back in Granite City. We have acquaintances. We don't have friends. But I'm sharing this with you because we are, number one, extremely blessed to receive this calling. I have never felt something so peaceful and so faith-building my entire life. And at the same time, I've never done something that at times can make you feel so crazy. I was driving around in my car yesterday and listening to worship music, and I was out loud just saying, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm not a crazy person. I don't do this. But I was so blessed because I realized I'm not crazy. This is God. This is not us. And so I, I share this basically to say that um, we are honored to be obedient. And we don't know what fruit is going to come from that obedience, whether we come alongside an existing church or whether we plant or whether, however this works out, I just know that our calling is to go there, to be there, to anchor there, to seek the welfare of the city and to watch and see what God does. And I, I share this in, in zero divisiveness whatsoever that if, if anybody feels led to, um, to be with us in that, and, and nobody may be, and that's okay. This is our calling. Uh, to pray, seek the sensitivity of the Spirit, and talk to the elders. We desire to be engaged in the same mission that's happening here in St. Charles, just on the other side of the river. And so lastly, I'll just say, um, we love you so much. And thank you so much. God has changed my life through this church family. When I... Uh had the privilege of um, doing uh, Sarah and Jared's marriage. Uh, there was this crazy thing that happened because um, they both had come from scenarios where uh, there was just a lot of brokenness. And so I remember uh, doing your wedding and just the profound image of God's grace over your life was insanely striking. And uh, so I, I say to all of you, it is only fitting that the guy who has shepherded us in the area of discipleship since 2010 would all of a sudden be called in a way that is not like Jared's personality whatsoever. Jared is calculated. He's precise. Um, he rarely ever makes a decision that is outside of the realm of possibility and I have never, ever in my life, and I've known him a long time, have seen my brother so confident in what God's doing. Um, tonight is, uh, is not goodbye. Uh, next week, we are going to worship, and we're going to teach God's word, and we are going to party and celebrate God's calling on the Corazons. And we're going to get a chance to come around them as a family and send them out in celebration. Yes, in tears, and I've shed a lot of them. But in celebration. Why? Because when you're interested in seeing the body of Christ being built up in love, then that means it comes at a cost. And so in this case, like Jared says, yes, it comes at a cost for him and for us. But for what? I pray for a massive revival in Granite City.
I pray that our brother sees salvations in his neighborhood, in Granite City, that we could have never anticipated. Why? Because the church is being built up in love. God brought he and Sarah here, Jared, 10 years ago so that he would be built up in love and empowered. And so tonight, as one church, brought together in the oneness of Christ, we deal with the realities of a very true calling. We have all been called to lay our lives down, no matter what the cost. And that is why the power of Christ is all we need. And so tonight, as one church, as one body, yes, hurting from the news, but at the same time so hopeful, we say, Lord Jesus, we need you. And that's precisely why his body was broken. So that from that point on, Jared, every follower of Christ, Sarah, Lord willing, his kids come to the Lord, could come to this table of grace and say, God, all we have is your son, that's it. So whatever you want with us, we will do. On the last night that Jesus was with his disciples, he lifted up a cup and he said, in this cup is is the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Not long after that, he surrendered himself. He let go of his life. He gave himself so that we may have life. My friends, tonight the blood that was shed for you, one drop of that blood is more than sufficient to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. One drop of that blood unites you to the Father for all time. I'm here tonight as a brother in Christ, a co-laborer, a missionary, a friend in the gospel, just here tonight to say, lay down your life, give up control. So the opportunity is to find life by coming to the table tonight, by taking the bread and dipping off a piece and, and dipping it in the cup. This meal tonight is for believers, people who know that they've entrusted their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. I want to especially invite any of you tonight who have never had this meal, who've never surrendered your life to Christ, who've never entrusted yourself to his care. He will provide everything for you. I want to invite you to come to the table and even partake with us for the very first time. Church, come to the table when you're ready.